chapter ten of stories of symphonic music this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by kathleen stories of symphonic music by lawrence gilman chapter ten debussy claude debussy born in saint germain in lay seine et was france august twenty two eighteen sixty two now living in paris prelude to the afternoon of a fawn footnote debussy follows the sensible procedure of inscribing upon his scores the date of their composition instead of their opus numbers End footnote debussy's prelude composed in eighteen ninety two was the first of his representative works for orchestra it was inspired as he indicates in a subtitle by the singular poem of the french symbolist stephane marlamy la presse midi d'un fond this eclogue published in eighteen seventy six aroused fierce contention because of its obscurity and the uncompromising manner in which it exemplified marlamy's novel poetic method which was as mr edmund gosse has lucidly stated it to use words in such harmonious combinations as will suggest to the reader a mood or a condition which is not mentioned in the text but is nevertheless paramount in the poet's mind at the moment of composition mr gosse thus interprets the afternoon of a fawn which has defied literal translation a fawn a simple sensuous passionate being wakens in the forest at daybreak and tries to recall his experience of the previous afternoon was he the fortunate recipient of an actual visit from nymphs white and golden goddesses divinely tender and indulgent or is the memory he seems to retain nothing but the shadow of a vision no more substantial than the arid rain of notes from his own flute he cannot tell yet surely there was surely there is an animal whiteness among the brown reeds of the lake that shines out yonder were they are they swans no but naiads plunging perhaps vaguer and vaguer grows the impression of this delicious experience he would resign his woodland godship to retain it a garden of lilies golden-headed white-stocked behind the trellis of red roses ah the effort is too great for his poor brain perhaps if he selects one lily from the garth of lilies one benign and beneficent yielder of her cup to thirsty lips the memory the ever-receding memory may be forced back so when he has glutted upon a bunch of grapes he is wont to toss the empty skins into the air and blow them out in a visionary greediness but no the delicious hour grows vaguer experience or dream he will never know which it was the sun is warm the grass is yielding and he curls himself up again after worshipping the efficacious star of wine that he may pursue the dubious ecstasy into the more hopeful boscages of sleep the manner in which debussy has set to music 
this extraordinary conception cannot be better indicated than in the exposition of louis Leloy, the french critic one is immediately transported into a better world all that is leering and savage in the snub-nosed face of the satyr disappears desire still speaks but there is a veil of tenderness and melancholy the chord of the wood-wind the distant calls of the horns the limpid flood of harp-tones accentuate this impression the call is louder more urgent but it almost immediately dies away to let the flute sing again its song the exotic and dreamy phrase with which the prelude begins and now the theme is developed the oboe enters in the clarinet has its say a lively dialogue follows and a clarinet phrase leads to a new theme which speaks of desire satisfied or it expresses the rapture of mutual emotion rather than the ferocity of victory the first theme returns more languorous and the croaking of muted horns darkens the horizon footnote the tone of the horns and other brass instruments is sometimes muffled for special effects by the insertion of a pad in the bell of the instrument End footnote. the theme comes and goes fresh chords unfold themselves at last a solo cello joins itself to the flute and then everything vanishes as a mist that rises in the air and scatters itself in flakes three nocturnes one clouds nuages two festivals fetes three sirens sirenes footnote this third nocturne is scored for orchestra and a choir of women's voices they sing no words the eight soprano and eight mezzo-soprano voices being treated as part of the instrumental fabric End footnote this suite was written in eighteen ninety seven to ninety nine in date of composition it stands so far as debussy's more important works are concerned between the opera peleus et melisande eighteen ninety three to ninety five and the symphonic sketches la mer nineteen o three to o five the score bears no explanatory note or elucidation but the following program which it has been remarked would itself seem to require elucidation is said to have been supplied by the composer the title nocturnes is intended to have here a more general and above all a more decorative meaning we then are not concerned with the form of the nocturne but with everything that this word includes in the way of impressions and special lights clouds the unchangeable appearance of the sky with the slow and melancholy march of clouds ending in a gray agony tinted with white festivals movement rhythm dancing in the atmosphere with bursts of brusque light here also the episode is of a procession a wholly impalpable and visionary pageant passing through the festival and blended with it but the main idea and substance obstinately remain always the festival and its blended music luminous dust participating in tonal rhythm sirens the sea and its innumerable rhythm 
then amid the billows silvered by the moon the mysterious song of the sirens is heard it laughs and passes these nocturnes may be sympathetically approached only when it is understood that they are dream pictures fantasies rather than mere picturesque transcripts of reality the brief characterization of them by debussy's colleague alfred Bernou, is more suggestive than many an elaborate commentary here with the aid of a magic orchestra he has lent to clouds traversing the sombre sky the various forms created by his imagination he has set to running and dancing the chimerical beings perceived by him in the silvery dust scintillating in the moonbeams he has changed the white foam of the restless sea into tuneful sirens the sea three symphonic sketches one from dawn till noon on the sea de l'aube à midi sur la mer two frolics of waves jute de fogs three dialogue of the wind and the sea dialogue du vent et de la mer la mer trois esquisses symphoniques was composed in nineteen o three to o five debussy has supplied no program other than that contained in the titles of the different movements the music is broadly impressionistic a tonal rendering of colors and odors of voices imagined or perceived no less than of moods and reveries the comment of the french critic m jean d'andine is suggestive how can any one analyze logically creations which come from a dream and seem the fairy materialization of vague acute sensations which experienced in feverish half-sleep cannot be disentangled by a miracle as strange as it is seductive m debussy possesses the dangerous privilege of being able to seize the most fantastical sports of light and of fluid whirlwinds he is cater cousin to the sorcerer the prestidigitator and it has elsewhere been written of these pieces by way of an indication of their mood for debussy the sea is wholly a thing of dreams a thing vaguely yet rhapsodically perceived a bodiless thing a thing of shapes that are gaunt or lovely wayward or capricious visions that are full of bodement or fitful or passionately insistent but that always pertain to a supramundane world a region altogether of the spirit it is a sea which has its shifting and lucent surfaces which even shimmers and traditionally mocks but it is a sea that is shut away from too curious an inspection to whose murmurs or imperious commands few have needed to pay heed a sea whose eternal sonorities and immutable enchantments are hidden behind veils that open to few and to none who attend without it may be a certain rapt and curious eagerness End of chapter 10